This is the Small Moves Podcast with your host, Jason Hertzberger, episode 70. Don't worry, kids. Drug addiction doesn't last forever. You either get clean or you die. You're listening to the Small Moves Podcast. Small steps for big progress. With your host, Jason Hertzberger. Your next step starts now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show this week. Thank you also for coming back for part two of the interview with Mike Gimble. Mike is a, for those of you that were not around last week, Mike is a addiction and recovery specialist and consultant here in the Baltimore area. And he has one hell of a backstory. If you were here for last week's episode, episode 68, I aired the first portion of the interview I had with Mike about maybe the first 45 to 50 minutes of it, where we talked about his experience himself with addiction, where how it started, where it took him, and how he finally made his way out of it. This portion of the interview for this week, we get into sort of what he has been doing with himself for the last roughly three decades since um, being a recovering addict. We get into his life's work of helping other addicts get clean and some of the legislative and non-legislative work that he's been doing over that time to further that process. This interview was great. We get into a lot of politics-related things, as the issue of drug addiction will tend to do sometimes. Uh, There was, just as a quick heads up, there was a mention of a particular politician, for those of you that are local to the Baltimore area that are listening to this, um, maybe a little less than halfway through the interview, we got into some, let's just say, rather harsh uh, perspective with regards to a local politician in the Baltimore area who, since the time that we recorded this interview, um, unfortunately passed away from a sudden heart attack at the age of 60. I asked Mr. Gimbel what his thoughts were about airing this portion of the show. He said he was still fine with it. And with my preference to keep my conversations as unedited as possible, we did decide to leave those comments in the show. So if you are local and know who we are talking about, and if it does personally affect you, I do apologize if you are grieving and this is something that affects you directly. I do apologize for that, but I did want to keep the integrity of the interview, so we did leave these comments in. That being said, this was a great interview. We get into a lot of great details about how to handle the drug epidemic as we're dealing with it in the country today, but I don't want to get too much into the details because Mike goes into a lot of details in this one. This is a great conversation. I really hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, I bring you part two of my interview with Mike Gimble. Here we go. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to the Small Moves Podcast, small steps for big progress. Let's prepare to ignite. And at the same time, in 1980, the county wanted to create a position called a drug abuse coordinator okay. for Baltimore County to help coordinate the programs. And, and someone said to me, are you going to apply? You'd be perfect. That's it. I just barely got out of high school. Just, yeah. You know, I'm not, I don't have the, the requirements. Yeah, it's like four years of high school, seven and, years in a And this cult, woman who was, a, you know, uh, who was a police captain in the county police said, you should apply. And so I did. And I got down to uh, the final three people. One was me and the other two were two PhD doctor types. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is silly. You're screwed. Yeah. The county executive was Donald Hutchinson, 
who just took over as county executive in 1980. Mm -hmm. And he interviewed each of us. And went in and uh, he started telling me how his brother was an alcoholic and blah, blah, blah. And I was telling him what I want to do and what I can do and my story. And he says, you know what? You got the job. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? This is like unheard of. Yeah. And so what they had to do was a background check. <laughs> and so next thing I know, the FBI, the county police, everybody's there talking to my neighbors, anybody that <laughs> wanted to make sure that I was okay. Yeah. And this county executive was a ballsy thing to do. Sure. He's going to hire some criminal. Yeah, he's going to hire he's a, he's gonna to hire this high-level position mm -hmm. that reported directly to him. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. What a chance. You know, yeah, I could be sure, a total yeah. nutcase. Yeah. But he took the chance and he said this. He, he said, if you help one person, you earned your salary. I mean, he was amazing. Yeah. And so he hired me and I started and I had a $50,000 grant. And that was for my salary and a secretary. And then I started creating what this job was because it never it was never here before. Yeah. And I just started building it and writing grants and going out and talking. A friend of mine said, just go out and talk, mm. talk to the media, tell your story. And I would, I mean, literally seven days a week, I'd go out, talk to Boy Scouts, you know, talk to schools, mm. talk to any Kiwanis Club, anybody that would listen mm. and tell them my story. And, and at the same time, try to build up the county with programs and education and treatment. Mm. And, and so we, I started getting labeled the drug czar. And so that stuck. <laughs> and so Baltimore County in 1980, we were the first probably county in the country to hire a drug czar, <laughs> which now we have a drug czar in the White House. Now it's a thing. Yeah. yeah, now it's a thing. We were the first ones to do it. That's so and so I started writing grants to bring more money in. Okay. The drug problem started getting worse in the suburbs back mm. then. It was, and then it was mostly pot. And LSD and pills and cocaine. Yeah. Certainly didn't see heroin or anything else like that. Yeah. So yeah. we started building the programs and I would get more money, more money, more grants, more people, more treat, you know. And I built this thing up. And by the time I left the county, almost 25 years later, mm -hmm. I was a drug czar for a long time. Yeah. We had literally become the model program for the nation and actually the world. Mm -hmm. uh, the island of Malta literally paid for my staff to come out there for a week and teach them how to develop the drug czar office. That's pretty awesome. In Malta. So, I mean, we, got, you know, we were looked at as, the, as a real model that okay. we put together. And we dealt with prevention and treatment and the courts. And we did the first DWI program we started. We started hmm. the prom parties. After the, after the proms, we started the SAD program in the schools. You know, students oh, SAD against, started here. Well, we were the second. SAD started in, in uh, Marlborough, Massachusetts. Okay. But I got on their board of directors when it first started. Okay. And out in Massachusetts. And so <laughs> Maryland, Baltimore County became like the second. The first satellite. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. After that got out of, but it started out of uh, Marlborough, Massachusetts. Okay. And so we built the SAD and I was on their board of directors. Uh, in in Boston, and so we just built this thing. And by the time I left, we had 120 people working for the office, mm -hmm. and a budget of about 14 million dollars. So we took it from 50,000, 50k to 14, and million. built it into a real 
a professional organization with caring people and helping people and just built it. And it was just unbelievable the things we did with the schools, the police. Somebody told me when I first got the job, get on television. They said, tell your story, get on the news. He says, people aren't going to come up to you the next day and say, what you said last night on Channel 13 was so profound. They're going to go, I saw you on TV last night. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't care what you say. Yeah. And this woman who I work for gave me that advice, and that's I did so, it. So, so I got a really good relationship with the media in Baltimore at that point. Okay. You know, with everyone. So I was on all the Anytime it was a drug thing, sure. I was there. You were sort of the go-to call for that. And then I met the owner of Fox 45. Okay. Uh, one of the, it's owned by the Smith Brothers, who now, you know, it's it now Sinclair Broadcasting, mm -hmm. which is going to be the largest. And they are the largest independent, independent owners of stations yeah. in the country. And they're going to get bigger probably next week <laughs> when they get the Chicago Tribune. Uh, but anyway, so I met one of the brothers who was also an oral surgeon. Mm -hmm. And he took my wisdom teeth out. Totally messed them up. And I kept going back and back. And we actually became friends because I was going back. So you were calling so many times. And, I, and he says, what do you do? I said, well, I'm the drug czar for Baltimore County. I said, what do you do? You're obviously not a surgeon. Yeah. <laughs> he says, well, my family owns Fox 45. <laughs> but he loved kids. Yeah. This guy, uh, 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 Fred Smith. And he loves kids. Mm -hmm. He wanted to build a school, one of his own. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, he didn't want to, he kept on the boys' Latin. He wanted another school. He wanted to build it. And, and he really, we got to be friends almost. Mm -hmm. And I told him I was doing a little dinky show on Comcast cable. Back mm -hmm. then, it was a little five-minute show. And he said, why don't we do something at Fox 45? And I said, okay. So I came up with a show uh, called Straight Talk. And he got me on the air. And Straight Talk has been on the air for 35 years. We're the longest-running public affairs show, certainly in Baltimore. Is it a once-weekly show? It's, or twice, it... it's on twice every Sunday. Okay. It is syndicated to 10 cities through the Sinclair Network, okay. which has the potential of being syndicated to Chicago, the Chicago 193 Park. stations eventually, which we're working on. And so uh, it's called Straight Talk, and I have everyone on people who are in recovery, people who are who have lost family members, police, counselors. It's just been, they've been so amazing to allow me to do this all these years uh, and keep it on the air and give it some good airtime and put it on these other cities. And so that, so I got really into the media side of things. Sure. And that was been, you know, to this day, most stations, when there's a drug issue, mm -hmm. they'll call me. I'll get the call. Got it. You know, it's on their, like, go-to guy when it comes to drug stuff. So that's been really a great part of it. So after 25 years, uh, five administrations, uh, I got into a political battle with one guy who was the new county executive. <laughs> and we got into a big fight, and he fired me. And this is Jim me. Smith. Okay. He fired me. Uh, mostly because uh, the health officer, like I was, for many years I reported to the county executive. Direct, okay. As the drugs are. He came in and dumped me and put us in the health department, mm -hmm. which takes away all the clout sure. that the drugs are has sure. to get work done. Yeah. And that didn't sit well with my staff and it was battles going back and forth and I was fighting for them and got into a real big pissing contest and I lost. Got it. Sure. <laughs> which turned out to be the best thing probably you're further down the for me pole, so but not not for the county because uh, i went on i went to work with shepherd pratt 
And then uh, at the same time all this is going on, I became a marathon runner. Oh, Jesus. Right? Because <laughs> I would love sports. I became, I got into running uh, back in the mid-90s and started being a marathon runner mm-hmm. and really got into it and ended up running 18 marathons in the Boston Marathon eight times. So I was really a... How'd you do in the Boston Marathon? I did okay. I mean, eight times. That's yeah, good. Like you qualified, which is which you have to you qualify the, to get in. Yeah, which which got it gets you to the ninety nine point ninth percentile. Exactly. You population. have to be an elite runner just to get there. Yeah. And so that was just the, that's probably the second most thing I'm proud of <laughs> is doing Boston eight times. So my running and my recovery, I developed a program called Playing Safe, Fair, and Sober, mm. and I sold it to the NCAA at the St. Joseph's Hospital in Baltimore. Mm. And they create a program working with athletes. And, and that was wonderful because that got me into the world of, I, I got to work with Alex Rodriguez. That's fun. I sure. got to work with uh, uh, Ray Lewis. And then the ultimate happened uh, was, if I'm telling too many stories, you let me know. Not at all. You can no, edit no, them no. down yeah. if you want, but you're not going to want to edit this one though. Because <laughs> this, is, this is the one that, I'm, that I don't tell that often, but I figured, what the hell. Uh, I was, my wife and I, I was married at the time, got remarried. On Super Bowl Sunday, we would go to uh, Atlantic City. Mm. So she could gamble and I could watch the Super Bowl. Okay. And that was a good deal. We did every year. It was nice. Sure, it was was just the thing. Yeah. It was great. Well, the Thursday before the Super Bowl, I launched my Playing Safe, Fair and Sober parent program. Mm. And so I was fairly friendly with uh, Debbie Phelps. Michael Phelps' mom. Mama, yeah. And I asked her, I said, would you endorse my parent program? Congressman Elijah Cummings was also a very close friend. You'll see pictures here of, all over the place with Elijah Cummings. Great guy. And she said, yeah, I will. And she came and she endorsed. And at that time, he had just won the Olympics. Oh, yeah. She, she was, she, she's the queen mother. She was yeah. you know, she's having her endorsed by program. So she endorses the program. Thursday night. They had her on TV about as much as... Oh, my God. She was a a total, total celebrity. Yeah, she's great. And so that Sunday was the Super Bowl. My wife and I would go, right, we'd do our thing. And if you've ever been to casinos in Atlantic City, you don't know anything. You're blocked out of the world. Sure, yeah. So uh, Sunday morning comes for the Super Bowl. And... I turn my phone on after having it off for a couple of days. And I mean, I must have had... This is the old flip phone back then. Mm-hmm. I must have had like 100 messages. Oh, my God. I'm going, what the hell? What did I what miss? The he- what the hell happened? What did <laughs> I miss? So I call uh, the news director of Channel 13, who was yeah. a friend. I said, what's going on? Look, Why? Before I go through 100 messages, I said, what's going on? what the hell he happened? Said, what do you mean? You don't know what's going on? I'm going, <laughs> no, I don't know what's going on. He goes, oh, my God. They got a picture of Michael Phelps. Doing a bong Smoking pot. <laughs> I'm going, what? Now, I, you know, I'd gone through, I'd been quoted and trying to support him because he ca- got caught drunk driving before that, mm-hmm. years earlier. Yeah. And I was like, you know, because I knew Debbie. Yeah. Because I knew kid. Debbie, I said, you know, was, was pretty supportive. And now they want me to say something about Michael Phelps' head in a bong. Oh and I'm like, normally, and I mean, I'm getting calls from News outlets from everywhere. Everywhere. CNN, everybody's calling the drugs artists. (laughs) Well, I say to my wife, I go, look, his mother just Just endorsed endorsed my program. Yeah. I can't throw him under the bus. Yeah. Right? 
I don't know what to do. So I turned the phone off. <laughs> and then I didn't get any messages. And so, uh, so, so I just put it. I just don't even think about it. But mm. I do get a paper because I wanted to see the picture. <laughs> so I see this picture. I'm going, oh shit! What did he do? Right in South Carolina? What's he doing in South Carolina? I know. So you can get that. You can get that shit here. Going, what? <laughs> what do you mean? So. Um, we check out on Monday and mm-hmm. turn the phones back on. And next thing I know, I get a phone call. It's Debbie Phelps. Of course it is. Okay. <laughs> she goes, Mike. She goes, Mike. I said, hi, Debbie. How's everything? How's Michael doing? Is he okay? Oh, my God. You wouldn't believe it. I'm sitting in my house and we got reporters in the trees, you know, <laughs> and they're hanging out. They're banging at my door. I'm sitting here like almost in the dark on the floor. And how's Michael? Oh, he's fl- he's flipping out. And. Everybody's gone crazy, and he needs he needs to talk to you. I said, okay. She goes, but he needs to call you. I don't want you calling. He needs to make this move. He needs to call you. He needs to figure it out. I yeah. said, okay. I said, well, you got my number. I'm leaving Atlantic City. I'm heading back right now. Mm-hmm. Right? So now I'm driving, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, anybody that goes through on my phone, hang up, hang up. I can't talk to you. I yeah, so, yeah just... like, I'm waiting for a special call. Like, yeah. And we're halfway home, and then Michael calls. And he says, oh, man, you know, I need to I want to talk to you. And I said, okay. I said, well, why don't we set something up tomorrow, maybe at my house? Mm-hmm. That way, get, the hell get away from, from the media. Yeah. And so we schedule it for him to come to my house at 2 o'clock on Tuesday next day. And now I'm, like, nervous as shit. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. Sure. At this point, he's, like, the most famous athlete in the world. In the world. In the yeah. world. Literally in the right? world. Right? And yeah. he's coming over. So... I'm like, oh, my God, what do I do? What do I do? And so around 11 o'clock Tuesday morning, I get a phone call from his agent mm-hmm. saying, hey, look, there's no way that he can come to your house. He's being followed. Oh, I would his imagine. There's entourage a- is yeah. being followed. And yeah. if they see him come to the drug czar's house, they're going to know he's got a drug problem. Yeah. We can't do that. Yeah. But we want you to meet with them today. Yeah. I said, okay, what do I do? And they go, okay, well, here's what we want you to do. I was going to say, you this look is, you look a lot less conspicuous in a hat and glasses double, than he does. Double, yeah. This is 007, right? They go, and they show me the back alleys <laughs> to get to his house in Rogers Forge, mm-hmm. right? So now, so what do I do? I want to be cool. So I put on my Boston Marathon outfit so Michael will think I'm an athlete. <laughs> like I'm some kind of cool athlete, not just a junkie, you know? Yeah. I'm an athlete, man. I can talk to you. I've run the Boston Marathon a bunch of times. <laughs> and so I put my Boston Marathon outfit on, and I'm walking in the dark in the evening through the alley, and I get to the back of their house, and it's pitch black dark. Mm-hmm. And I back on the door, and Debbie comes to the door, literally like on her knees, opens the door in tears. Like, oh what the hell's going on? Oh my God, they won't leave us alone. And they literally, the whole block was nothing but Press. news fans. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God. And so we sit there for hours on the floor in the dark. And she's, t- and she's saying how, you know, the Olympic Committee never doesn't, they're really good before you go to the Olympics, t- telling families how to handle it, but they don't tell you what to do. Yeah, they, cut, they cut you loose after they make and their money. Yeah. So she says, you know, Michael needs to talk to you and blah, blah, blah. I said, well, when do you, and we sat there for a couple of hours, and then Michael finally showed up. Mm-hmm. And so we went downstairs. And for a couple of hours, I tried to do like an intervention, a Dutch uncle sure. kind of a thing, you know, not, yeah. not to come on too hard. 
And he, and he goes, he says, I know I have an addicted personality, you know, and everywhere I go, he was telling me about doing Saturday Night Live with pot coming through the vents, <laughs> he said, <laughs> and everyone's offering him this and that. Sure, I said, yeah. I said, well, how did you end up with a freaking bong picture in the paper? Yeah. Turns out that his, his biggest issue wasn't drugs or alcohol, it was mm. gambling. Okay. That's his big thing. Okay. And so that's his addiction. That's yeah. probably his was his biggest one at the time. And he went down to South Carolina to learn how to play poker from the poker champion of America, who was in South Carolina. Sure. And I, at, in the evening, they went to a party. Mm. You know, and next thing you know, this is what it is. Yeah, people taking pictures. Somebody's there then. with a the phone. Like then, nobody knew is. not to have pictures taken. Yeah, and so it wasn't top of mind. Oh crap! Everyone, yeah, in this but he room was down there to learn how to play yeah. poker, not to yeah. By pot, yeah. But he did say a lot was going on, and all he told me a lot of stories that I can't say, you know. Uh, but a lot of stories that were just bizarre behavior. And, mm. and so we got to the point. I said, okay, well, here's some the options we have. You know, I'm happy to talk with you. I got a counselor. I got a therapist. You know, and so I got his number. He took my number, and uh, we talked one time during the week. And he just kind of like was out of it. Yeah, he wasn't ready. Yeah, you could tell he wasn't. In, he was into the glamour. He was into the lifestyle. Sure, I mean he was he, in the he party. Was, he, he was even, into the life of being the most popular athlete. Yeah, on and, the you planet. know who just signed a, like sixty, seventy million dollars worth of endorsements, endorsements at this yeah. point. Yeah. And uh, he was, you know, his role model was Michael uh, Jordan. Okay, who became like an alt, a big time gambler. Yeah, I've heard. So, yeah, and um, so. You know, he just kind of drifted off and never followed through with anything mm. that happened. I stayed in touch with Debbie and still do, you know, uh, a lot. And so he just kind of was living his lifestyle. And I remember uh, I read a story, I don't know if it was in the London paper, but by two prostitutes. They were telling this story that they were with Michael Phelps and, you know, I'm going, oh my God, and everyone's going, you liars, you this. And they were saying things that he told them. And I'm going, hmm. That sounds mm, like, yeah. like, sounds, sounds sounds like kind of close to real. Sounds like, like I heard those stories. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh man, I got to get out of it. I'm like, anyway. So he never followed through with anything okay. back then, which I wish he probably would have. He probably would have saved himself some grief later in life, maybe. Sure. But um, as we all know, he ended up getting into real trouble with drunk driving and almost killed a lot of people. Yeah. Ended up in rehab and. Thank God. It sounds like he's doing really good now. Yeah. Because yeah. he got away from Baltimore. Yeah. He got the hell out of he got, hotel. Yeah. He got away from town. And that's yeah. important for people. Yeah. So, Environment matters. Like, yeah. Just, I mean, I I don't necessarily, I wouldn't say I don't have an addictive personality. I probably do. But to, you know, other, other things that are more socially acceptable, like spending money on stuff that you right. shouldn't be spending money on. But it's... But when it comes, environment matters. Like your your your. It's a big part. You think it, it, we call it obsessive compulsive behavior. Mm -hmm. I don't care what it is. Yeah, you'd be a gambler, drugs, alcohol, sex, mm -hmm. smoking, working, working, shopping. You know, whatever. exercise, yep. shopping, spending money. These are obsessive compulsive behaviors. Mm -hmm. You do it over and over mm -hmm. until it feels good. Yeah, and you like it. Yeah, and you get rewarded from yeah. it. You get a personal reward. You yeah. get a reward from it. So you feel good, so you keep doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, you keep doing it, and you don't stop. Mm -hmm. The only time you stop is when that behavior causes pain. 
Uh-huh. When you're a gambler, you lose to everything, you know? And so that's the thing. And so if you don't experience the pain of that you have behavior. No, you have no reason to. Why stop? Yeah. Why stop? Yeah. Which is, you know, whatever it is, yeah. which is why we come up with these terms like enabling when, it, when someone, you know, like my parents, every time I got in trouble, they bailed me out. There was no pain. Why stop? Why stop? Yeah, exactly. Like there's there's no reason Why there's stop? no reason for you to stop. Right. Yeah. And we and we deal with this now with every addiction there. I am totally addicted to running and have been now for 20 some years. I don't stop running unless I'm injured. <laughs> Which I get now as I'm getting older, I get injured a lot. Uh, but that's the only reason I won't run every day. It's because I'm I, I get injured. Mm-hmm. That's my addiction. Yeah. I still have it. It is who I am. I still work out three hours every day. Mm-hmm. If I can run, I run. If I can't, I'll do machine. That's your thing. Yeah. But I work out every day because yeah. I'm addicted to it. That's mm-hmm. my behavior. And again, I don't stop until I get pain. Yeah, it's a like person, you, you haven't blown a out. A person eats, and, eats, and, eats, and, eats t- and eats and eats until they gain so much weight, they look in the mirror and go, damn, would I sleep with that? Yeah, pain. You know, <laughs> the gambler loses everything. The workaholic loses his family. Loses the family. Yeah, you know, everyone loses something with obsessive compulsive behavior, mm-hmm. and if they don't, they keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's the secret of helping people that have obsessive compulsive diseases. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, it's all coming from the same place. Mm-hmm. You know, it just manifests itself in a different, you know. Thing. Yeah, I was I was listening to an interview with a Dr. Gabor Mate. I don't know if he, that name has come across yeah. your desk at all, but he, he's a psychologist that works works in this area as well. Like I, I heard an interview with him where he was defining addiction. And it was it was addiction is a complex, a psychological or physiological process, by but which manifests in any behavior that a person enjoys, finds relief in, and therefore craves in the short term, but suffers negatively in the long term and and doesn't give it up because of the negative consequences. So craving pleasure relief in the short term, negative effects in the long term, inability to give it up. Please note I've said nothing about substances. Right. So yeah, there addiction, it is. that's it. Addiction uh, is that's my that, you know, that's yeah. what I was saying, obsessive compulsive behavior. Yeah. The thing about it though is we always hear the story, you can't help somebody unless they want help mm-hmm. or they have to reach rock bottom. Yeah. You know, the point with all this is we can't wait for people to reach that point. Yeah. Where, Just, we gotta stop. where you have negative consequences because you could go on for years. Mm-hmm. For instance, women addicts, women who are addicts can stay on the streets 10 times longer than men but because men, they yeah. can sell their bodies. And, yep. Okay. Well, they can stay out longer, so they yeah. get sicker. Yeah, they get sicker because of but it. But meanwhile, they're enjo- they're they're enjoying the outcome, so well, they're, one, they're not going to stop on their own. Yeah, they're not. Gonna and stop and on the other part is this: is that when you when that addiction hits, mm-hmm. it's not a choice anymore. Yeah, it was a choice at the beginning. Yeah, but once that disease affects the brain, mm-hmm. it's no longer a choice. And I don't have a choice. I don't have a choice. I didn't have a choice. When I did heroin, mm-hmm. I don't have a choice now about exercise mm-hmm. because if I don't exercise, I go through withdrawal. You feel it. Yeah. Feel it. If I miss one day, I'll feel it. If I miss two days, you know, if, if I'm, you know, if I can't get there for some reason, 
you feel it immediately, mm -hmm. immediately. So the consequences, mm -hmm. people will, will last a long time until some serious thing. So we have to raise that bottom. We can't wait for everybody to reach the bottom. Yeah. We got to raise the bottom and somehow intervene and try to get them the yeah. help they need before they bottom out. Because bottoming out right now means death. Yeah, like one of my hair, the, the stuff with when fentanyl started hitting the market, it's like, you know, that's a product where if you take seven grains of it, you get a wonderful, you know, um, incredible high. You take nine grains of it, thinking stuff that's the size of grains of salt. It's like, if you take seven grains, you're in a wonderful place. You take nine grains, you're dead. Sure. And it's like, th that, I mean, the yeah. risk of that is incredible. Like, are you yeah. going to wait for somebody to hit that point? Well, you know. But the question is, like, where did, where, how do we get here? Like, the, the, well, think of it this way. You know, think of it this way. We've been dealing with drugs, you know, for years. Yeah. Pot, alcohol, all LSD, of it, in all of its forms. Cocaine, cocaine, heroin. Yeah. We've been dealing. Heroin's been a problem. Baltimore City is the heroin capital of the world mm -hmm. and has been for 50 years. Yeah. Okay. Ever since black jazz music came to Baltimore, mm -hmm. heroin followed. Came with it. Came with it. Came and with it's the been music. that. Yep. Came that way and has been there forever. Uh, and so we've been dealing with that for many, 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 many years. Mm -hmm. Well, a couple things happen and all at the same time. One is the heroin. When I was shooting heroin in 1970, the purity level was about 10%. Cra yeah, it was crazy. The purity level today of regular heroin mm -hmm. was reaching the 70 to 80%. Jesus. Okay. So we started seeing more heroin coming in, mm -hmm. mostly being distributed by the Colombians. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Black Gorilla family. And wait, I was going to say, when you Baltimore, say coming in, you mean within Coming into Baltimore. Baltimore. Okay. Because it's a hub. We've got a big port. We've got Huge the airport. Yeah. We've got 95 going right through. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Baltimore's been the, the perfect. Coast, yeah. big, that's why we were the hub for heroin. So here we go. We've got good heroin, you know, getting mm -hmm. pure. pure yeah. At the same time, we notice that Hollywood celebrities start overdosing from heroin. Think about the last five years. Mm -hmm. River Phoenix, mm -hmm. Corey Moncleef. Corey Moncleef was the top actor in the TV teen show Glee. I mean, billions of kids. It was the number one yeah. show for kids. Yeah, it's and the for, star yeah, of years. the show overdoses on heroin. Boy, that's, you know, we all grew up. I was yeah. with Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, and, yeah. you know, and then Kurt Cobain. Everyone mm -hmm. has their impact. Yeah. Wow, this guy had it was using heroin. Yeah. Made it kind, you know. And then we had uh, C. Philip uh, Huffman. Yep, so you Philip know, Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, yeah, he ended up so all of a sudden, you know, nice wealthy nice, white people. Well, wealthy white people are we're dying, are, we're are doing crawling. heroin. Yeah. All of a sudden we get what we call heroin chic. Became kind of cool <sighs> with all that. So now you got this powerful heroin going into the suburbs. And this mm -hmm. is a good six, seven, eight years ago. This was happening. So yeah. we saw an increase in heroin in the suburbs mm -hmm. seven, eight years ago okay. with this good heroin. And so we saw that. Same time, we started seeing the pharmaceutical companies starting producing incredible opiate painkillers. Mm -hmm. One was called oxycodone. Oxycodone. Yep. Miracle drug because most painkillers only last four hours. Mm -hmm. Even morphine. Mm -hmm. Only lasts four cool. hours. It's quick, yeah. Oxycontin, they made it time released so it could last eight hours. Mm -hmm. Miracle. 
Yeah. For somebody with back pain, mm-hmm. Oxycontin was a miracle drug. Yep. But well, good old drug addicts, being creative as we are, yeah. <laughs> said if you take that time release pill and you break it and you smash it and snort it, snort or, it or inject or it, inject it, yeah, you get the full eight hours worth. Awesome, man! Everyone's <laughs> like, yeah, Quaaludes. I mean, uh, uh, oxycotton, and that's the drug. Yeah, that's the that's shit. That's, yeah, that's it, man. Shit. And so, next thing you know. More and more people are getting Oxycontin. You go and think about this. If I gave you an Oxycontin pill, or anybody that's listening to this, I give you an Oxycontin, one pill a day for 30 days, maybe at surgery, Mm -hmm. you're going to be addicted to Oxycontin. Mm -hmm. I don't care who you are, because that's how addictive they are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people need them. Mm -hmm. They had surgery. They had surgery. They had... They you have know, extreme, they have, they have, they have to take the, the, the Oxycontin. So we know, and doctors knew, that people would get addicted after a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. Well, the damn doctors never help people get off. No, that's not their job. Like, for, like They would they say, it, that's hey, not their job. your back's fine. Yep. You know, and, and the guy goes, well, you know, I think I need one more prescription for Oxycontin. The doctor goes, well, I gave you two or three already. That's enough. Yeah. Can't give me Well, then this guy's addicted. Mm-hmm. Can't stop. Yep. You know, can't stop. Now, yeah. this, we're talking about a nice, you know, carpenter, you know, mm-hmm. with a family that yeah. fell off the roof. He fell off a roof know, and fell off the roof. Now he got surgery. Next thing you know, he's now saying, oh, I got to get some more of this Oxycontin. So he starts doctor shopping, mm-hmm. walking clinics, doctors, pain clinics. He's, you know, and he started getting his Oxycontin. And then eventually that runs out. Because mm-hmm. he runs out of money because Oxycontin is not cheap. Well, if you get it through a prescription, it's cheap. Sure. And that's when the problem hits. When you have to buy them off the streets, Mm -hmm. $20 to $25 a pill. Mm -hmm. Now this poor carpenter. Now poor. You know, it's like, I can't get them through prescription, which is cheap. Now I got to buy them from the streets. Yep. And he does. Yep. And he's he's hustling on the streets. Now this guy's roaming the streets looking for dope. Mm -hmm. And then somebody comes up to him and says, hey, man, let me tell you, I got some heroin. That's 10% of the price. $10 a bag. Yeah. And it'll take care of that pain you have, that withdrawal. And no big deal. They're the same. Mm-hmm. One's natural, mm-hmm. comes out of the earth. Yep. One's synthetic. What's the deal? Right? Yeah. Well, he says, okay. The yeah. next thing you know, he starts doing his heroin. And of course he says, okay. He, does, he, he just You know, he starts doing his heroin. And then next thing we know, over in China... They've been making synthetic drugs now for a long time. Mm. Right now, we've got synthetic marijuana, K2 or spice, it's called. Okay. You may have recently, we've had somebody put rat poison in this K2 and spice. In Chicago, we've got three cases in Maryland. But this is like synthetic pot. Mm. They make it to sound like it's something else. Mm. They sell it as incense. But everyone knows to smoke it because it's synthetic pot. Got it. They make synthetic LSD called bath salts. Yep, which is which, which makes you crazy. Yep, remember the homeless mixed, guy mixed, in Florida years BMA, ago? Just, yeah, he was eating the face of a homeless man because he was doing basalt. So China's been making these synthetic drugs for several years. Well, now they make a synthetic heroin, right? Which is called what? They did it once before. They called it China White, right? <laughs> okay, and they sent it over. This is many many years yeah. ago. An addict started dying. Disappeared. 
Now they start creating one and they package it as synthetic fentanyl, right? And they ship it over here. And now because there's such a competition to sell drugs, mm -hmm. as we certainly know in Baltimore. Legally or illegally. <laughs> uh, everyone wants to up their product. Mm -hmm. So they get this fentanyl and they put it in their heroin. Mm -hmm. So now they take heroin that was 70%, they cut it down to 30%, but then add back add fentanyl, and now they got a bit, they gotta make more money, mm -hmm. and they got a better product to sell. So all of a sudden we start seeing this, you know, these overdoses happening with heroin. Yeah. And we go, wow, that's really unusual. Because you get some, even with a pure, yeah. And then we next thing we know, it's fentanyl heroin. And as you said, one pinhead fool. Mm -hmm. A fentanyl will kill you. We don't yeah. even use drug dogs hardly anymore because it'll kill them. It'll kill the dog. We've got two, we had two sheriff's deputies in Harford County that overdosed just touching. They wear hazmat units, uh, outfits, oh when God. they go in to do a bus where they think there's fentanyl. That's how strong this stuff is. Now, what do we have? We've got a drug war going on in Baltimore City mm. and across the country where the Colombians, who controlled most of the heroin and the cocaine for years, mm -hmm. are now competing with MS-13 gangs. Mm -hmm. In Baltimore, we got the Black Gorilla family. Mm -hmm. And we got a new partner here recently, and it's the Mexicans. Mexico and Mexicans are now selling heroin. Okay. Mexico only sold, for the most part, marijuana, and methamphetamine. That was their two drugs that came from Mexico because they put out heroin back in my day in the 60s and 70s. Mm. And because the water is so dirty in Mexico, when they made the heroin, it came out brown, <laughs> right? My day, if you bought heroin, it was brown. You went, shit, I don't want this shit. Yeah. And we it's called it, white. Yeah. it was called Mexican mud. <laughs> and you got me, you didn't want Mexican mud because you didn't know what was in that water. Yeah. What are the Mexicans doing now? They're, they're now pr producing heroin and they're dying it white. So they're bleaching it or dying yeah. it or whatever. Now, yeah. leads you to the question, why are they getting involved in heroin? Mm. Why all of a sudden? Why not pot and, and marijuana? Why not stick, stick to their... Stick why? To because good old United States has legalized marijuana. Mm -hmm. And we took all the money away from the Mexicans. Mm -hmm. Simple. Yeah. You know? Now we're, we're selling our own pot. We're growing our own pot. We yep, don't need state Mexico. By, state by state. And Mexico yeah. says, you know what? Fuck you. Now, now we're going into the business we can be in mm -hmm. and really make money. Yeah. And now they're in the heroin business. So now you got the Mexicans, the Colombians, the local gangs, mm -hmm. all now fighting for territory. And who do they want to go after? Good old white America. Because mm -hmm. that's where the money is. That's where the money is. That's and that's now is. where the addicts are. Yeah. You look at who's dying from all these overdoses. So now they're out, they're pushing themselves, killing each other in the city. Mm -hmm. But the white kids aren't going in the city anymore like I did. Yeah. Now it's out here. Now it, they don't need to. Now it comes here. Pizza yeah. delivery. It's, it's coming. So here we are with about 65,000 Americans dying of an opiate overdose. 60? That's more than car crashes, and that's annual, homicides, that's yeah. and breast cancer combined. Dying of opiate overdoses in this country. 70% of those who die mm -hmm. 
started off with pain pills. So the oxy not not the heroin from the street. Uh, they yeah. start with Vicodin, Oxycontin, some kind of narcotic pain pill. So here's the pharmaceutical company mm -hmm. becoming our biggest drug dealers. Mm -hmm. They created this Iraq. mess. The doctors became the dealers, mm -hmm. right? They're the these they're the street pain, like they're, these the, pain centers they're the straight dealer, and, and they started this whole thing about pain, pain treatment centers, and whatever. Well, you know, when you went into a hospital, it said, "What's your level of pain from yeah. zero to 10? I mean, yeah. they were in this whole thing about giving pain, and now it's driven by the pharmaceutical companies, yeah, making these pills, and you know, they all give kickbacks and whatever little mm -hmm. goodies they give to the doctors, mm -hmm. and they start prescribing it to everybody. Yeah, and now we got ourselves several epidemics at one time. Mm -hmm. And that's what's leading to 60-some thousand people dying. Wherever you came from, you end up in the same place. Yeah, Whether you're a regular street addict and mm -hmm. you got heroin and now you're getting fentanyl, yeah. or you're a, a pill head from your pain, a legitimate case, and now you end up at the same place. Yeah. They're ending up at the same place. Yeah, you end up in the same gutter with the same needle in your arm. It doesn't matter where you were. I mean, all shoot up because, you know, whatever. You might start snorting heroin. You might start smoking it. But you're going to end up injecting, injecting it. That's sure. the best way to take it. That's what happens. Mm -hmm. So here we are with this giant epidemic. Wherever it's coming from, whichever angle, mm -hmm. uh, it's here. It's here. It's nothing like we've ever seen before. Yeah. So government, the experts in government... You know, the health experts, yeah. the intellectual assholes at Hopkins and Maryland who think they know addiction. Yeah. You know, all these, you know, they've written about it they've and stu studied they, it. They've studied it yeah. extensively. You know, they're all a bunch of intellectual like jerks when it comes to addiction because they don't know what it is. Yeah. Well, now they're dealing with heroin addiction. Mm -hmm. It ain't nothing like no. cocaine, cocaine, pot, alcohol. alcohol. Yeah. It's nothing like they've ever dealt with. Yeah. Heroin is the devil. Heroin will make an addict do things that their values would never allow mm -hmm. them to do. The shit I did yeah. on, on heroin was just unbelievable. Yeah. Things I did to my family, the people you love. You don't care if you die. You don't care if you're arrested. You don't care if you overdose. You just want more. Yeah. And that's what an addict wants, more. Yeah. If you say that addict, here's fentanyl and this will kill you. And here's regular heroin, about 30% pure. What do you want to do? Shoot, I want that fentanyl. Yeah. And, the, and these intellectuals out there go, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Why would someone want a drug that's going to kill them? You know, because they're an addict. They're an addict. That's what know. they do. Yeah. But no, they don't think it. So their response to, to which, of course, my question would be, do you want to find, it's like, it's like, what? that makes no sense. Why are they doing that? My answer would be, you want to find out? It's like, you know, that's the only way to know. Yeah. Like you sad to say, that's the only way to really they understand. Have no, yeah. They have no knowledge, no comprehension of what the addict goes through, what their life is like, yeah. and what they would do for that drug. Yeah. And so here we are, the government's ready, you know, it's happening everywhere in the country. Mm. West Virginia, Connecticut, all over. We're seeing this everywhere. Yeah. And so the government <laughs> responds, right, mm. in the most ridiculous, insane effed up way I've ever seen in my life. Everything they've done so far has not worked. The numbers keep going up, up and up and up and up. So you look at, well, what have they done? First thing that they do is they start producing hundreds and thousands and millions of doses 
of the overdose, anti-overdose drug, naloxone, better known as Narcan. Narcan, okay. Okay. Narcan has been used by paramedics Mm -hmm. to handle an overdose. Mm -hmm. They can put it in your nose, they can inject it. It reverses the effect of opiates on the brain. And if you get to the person soon enough, you can block the brain. Block it. Okay. Protect, the, protect the brain. And it won't reach the brain, thus they won't overdose. So they start saying that's the number one answer. We're going to give Narcan to every human being on the face of the earth. right? And on top of it, you get a bunch of these parents who have lost their children uh-huh. to these overdoses. And they all believe if I had Narcan, I would have saved my child. 99.9% of those cases wouldn't. No. They didn't find their kid till the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Or and can't need to be administered you know what I mean? within minutes. I mean, minutes. Yeah, yeah sure. Minutes. Yeah. It's like, so, it's, it's like an So this whole it's movement like, yeah. starts. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're giving out Narcan like it's candy in this country. And they make the public believe that that's the answer. Mm-hmm. Narcan is the answer. <laughs> Narcan will, will solve everything. Until oh, next thing you know, I mean, everybody's got Narcan. The Surgeon General of the United States. I think everyone should carry Narcan in their purse or in their pocket. What the fuck? I'm like, <laughs> first of all, Narcan is an amazing drug. Sure. It is a miracle. It's effective. It's a and miracle it drug. Sure. Once you bring the addict back, then what? Then what? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. If a paramedic brings them back, they take them to the hospital. Yeah. So we can check for HIV. Hep C, any other diseases. Mm. Everyone in the world that has Narcan, if you bring back your son or your spouse or your drug friend, are you going to go to the hospital? Mm. Hell no, because the cops will get involved. Yeah. Right? So now we lose all count of Hep C, HIV, all these diseases. And this fucker's still out there shooting up again. Yeah. Right? That's one. Number two, fentanyl is so strong that you need two or three doses of Narcan. Of Narcan. So who in the hell's walking around with four doses of Narcan in their pocket? Sure. So we've got the public believing that one dose, keep that one dose in your purse, mm-hmm. that you're going to save a life. Yeah. And actually, I believe you're going to kill somebody because you're going to give them that one dose and expect them to pop back up. Like what happened? Oh, thank you so much. You know, like that, yeah. And that they'll pop back up to life. Yeah. Well, five, ten minutes goes by and they're still out. They're still laying there with vomit popping. Now you say, Moo, I better, I better call 911. Well, it's too late. Now it's too late. Right. Yeah. So we've given a false sense, which pisses me off because it's not what we should have done. Let it be in the hands of the professionals, professionals the paramedics. Yeah. Yeah. Let them deal with it because yeah. they have multiple doses. The other thing it does is, as we said before, about feeling the pain. Mm-hmm. It gives the addict this sense of, I can overdose. Because I've got a can of Narcan. I, I know Narcan is going to help me. Yeah. Right? They actually have Narcan parties now with the addicts. It's like a designated driver. You say, oh, oh, I'm not going to shoot up while you guys do, and I'll have the Narcan just in case. Oh, my God. Right? Because, again, these are addicts. Yeah. They're, they're not they're, afraid. They're of not a, thinking straight They're not here. afraid. Just, yeah. If addicts thought and cared about their life, they wouldn't be freaking addicts. Yeah. Right? They yeah. don't care. Yeah. They just want more and more and more. Yeah. The Baltimore City Health Officer, who I debate on a regular basis because she's the Narcan queen, mm-hmm. you know, she puts out a, an app for your phone mm-hmm. that tells you where the most powerful fentanyl heroin is in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. She does it because she thinks if you tell the addicts where it is, they'll stay away from it. 
I said, I yelled at her, I said, you've just become the Pied Piper of Fentanyl. Bo- pre- pre- you, know, you just told them where bo- all the dope is. Yeah, all the good, all the good and, stuff. And all the good stuff. And, yeah. and, and, and she says, and she called it the bad stuff. That's okay. her and I said, bad to you is good to an addict. Yeah. Wake up. Yeah. But this is those intellectuals and how they think we're going to solve this problem. Yeah, and this is Dr. Leanna you know, Went. Leanna yeah, Dr. Went. Leanna Went. I yeah. mean, she's out of her mind. Doesn't know anything about what she's doing on this level. Mm-hmm. And all she's doing, more people are dying. Sure. Right? Hopkins, those people, same thing. I, I argue with them all the time mm-hmm. about it. Well, now we've got, you know, this false sense, you know. And, and meanwhile, all these people are overdosing. The numbers keep getting higher and higher. It's not working. Mm-hmm. And I said to Dr. Wynn, I said, let me tell you, if the numbers went down dramatically mm-hmm. from this Narcan being available, I would kiss your feet. I would sure. bow and say, good work. Sure. It's not working. The, the numbers, numbers are getting worse, worse, and, worse. And, worse and worse. It's like giving clean needles, that whole campaign. Yeah. Hepatitis C has increased 300%. Jesus. Some dirty needles. Yeah. Addicts like their needles. Mm-hmm. That's not going to stop. If you say to an addict, here's a clean needle and a bag of heroin, right? Yeah. Well, here's a dirty needle and a bag of heroin. There's a clean needle a block away with heroin. Mm-hmm. What do you think they're going to do? Yeah. They ain't they, waiting. They're not waiting a block. An yeah, addict no. never saves any dope for tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. They want what they want when they want it, and they want it now. Yeah. And they want more when they're done. Yeah. That's an addict. That's what they don't get. Yeah. That's don't what I get don't. It. I like. I'll admit. That's what I don't get. I don't understand. Like I can't understand that. Now I'm, you know, ha- having been around alcoholics, I un- I understand that your brain works differently. Like it's like I understand that I don't understand. Right. There's a lot of people that don't. Right. right. That and heroin is not like anything. It's not like out. It's nothing like we've seen. Yeah. It takes over your soul. Yeah. I mean, it really does. It takes over your soul. Yeah, you get gerbilized. Gerbilized. I mean, you just would just shark do eyes. anything. Yeah. And and so you re- don't respond to anything. So so now we've responded with Narcan everywhere, mm-hmm. not making a difference. With right? a, with a solution that basically sounds like you know what? There's a national epidemic of arson. There's like everybody, well, think, every other person in your apartment about, complex is setting their building on fire. It, solution: Everybody should just carry a fire extinguisher, and then there, the problem solved. Like, wait a second. Like, how about we stop them well, from starting about, the goddamn fire? <laughs> think about if. 62,000 people in this country died because of terrorism. <laughs> this is terrorism. This yeah. is coming from a foreign country, yeah. killing 62,000 Americans every year. This is terrorism. But we don't look, but we're blowing it off. Yeah. You know, they, they, everyone's making, you know, speeches and speeches. We're into like year three now of this, of, of fentanyl, yeah, of fentanyl. this fentanyl stuff. Nothing's been done. You know, Trump hasn't called China and said, hey, stop this shit from coming here or we're done. Yeah. You know, that's not on the table. I haven't no. heard that being mentioned ever. No, because right? it's, great, it's great business you know, being in business. With now, the thing I, I agree with is, is, yeah. is we need that wall in Mexico because most drugs come in from Mexico. Mm-hmm. They like really do. The, the heroin you mean, primarily heroin. Even the fentanyl's coming in yeah. because they need, well, they need a back alley. Well, sure. It's cheaper to go across land. They it's need just, a back yeah. alley to get it into this country. And that... <laughs> Then that Mexican comes, you know, that border, connection the border. border. It, just, yeah. it ain't all coming from Mexico, sure. but they're using it to come into the border. Sure. And it's true. So that I I would agree with that. Maybe, you know, that that's insane what's going on. Sure. But so here we are. So now we've got this situation. Right. Narcan, 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 Narcan. Well, 
It's not working. Mm. I've met with the lieutenant governor. Mm. I've met with the governor's staff. I've given them a 10-point plan. We're doing all this crap. Money's beginning to flow in. And what are they doing with the money? Billboards, PSAs, right? They're setting up signs and fire stations, you know, mm. this many people overdose. Who yeah. gives a shit? Yeah. That, 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 that's you know, like one step That's not going to help one, anybody. Yeah, that's one step above you know? just say no. They, like, got, that's they, not have, gonna, they just, have hotline. They're wasting money. Yeah. And the one thing they haven't put any money in is treatment. Actual treatment. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. It, it's absolute insanity. Mm-hmm. It's insanity. I don't get it. I don't understand it. The one thing we know as addicts is that you've got to get an addict off the street Mm. and into a safe, drug-free environment Mm. for as long as As you you can. As long as possible. Okay? If that means the rest of their life, maybe so be it. So here I am looking around, and I'm fighting and debating and fighting with the governor's staff, fighting with everybody, saying... What the hell are you doing? Yeah. When I was county drug czar, I took an old mental hospital at Rosewood State Hospital in Owings Mills. I turned it into a 300-bed drug treatment campus using those old buildings, Mm -hmm. renovating them. It was amazing. And it lasted in the county for over 25 years until the idiot county executive, Kevin Kavanitz, who's now running for governor, closed it. Closed it. Last year, in the middle of a heroin epidemic. This guy who wants to run for governor closes a treatment center that helped the poor. What a schnook. <laughs> I mean, what a schnook. Now I hear rumors he wants to reopen it right before the primary. Yeah. So he can cut a ribbon. Yeah. You know, this guy's a, it, it makes me vo- want to vomit. Yeah. You know, but I've been, you know. So here we are with no treatment. Hotlines. Yeah, call the hotline. No treatment. You're not going to try. Right? You're not going to no call treatment. the hotline. If you're just, so yeah. what do we do? Well, the next form of treatment, for 50 years, the main treatment for heroin was methadone. Methadone, yeah. It was mostly in the cities for black addicts, Mm. and it was a way the government literally made slaves out of the black addicts. Because they had to show up every day. Yep, and if they didn't show up. And they controlled them. Right on their time. It was a way of controlling the inner city addict. Methadone is horrible for your bones. It's a terrible thing. But that's that's all we did. Mm-hmm. When it was a black problem, I remember one. T- I remember one time. Back, it was like back in the day when Uber first started. I was actually dri- doing a little bit of Uber driving here and there. Like I owned a delivery business that was, you know, a fitting sort of a spinoff. And I remember one time I drove. I drove a girl who was a heroin addict. She was a former former prostitute heroin addict. She was talking all about it, but her, the it was picking her up from her grandparents' house, taking her to a methadone clinic right, right. here off of York Road in Baltimore and then bringing her home. And she told me all about it when she, when we were going, she was like, if, if you're two minutes late for your appointment, right. they give you a 50% dose for that day right, right. just to make sure right. that you show up. It, on makes, time. Like, it makes slaves and zombies second, out that, of people. Like that doesn't sound. Right. Yeah. So, so here we go. Here's the next step. So when it was a black inner city heroin problem, mm-hmm. all we had was methadone. Yep. Now that it's become a white middle class Mm-hmm. To wealthy problem, yeah. the drug companies that produced oxy, oxycotton and Vicodin, mm-hmm. who are like now getting Purdue, a lot of heat, Purdue Pharma, and they are Pharma. now producing medicines to treat heroin addiction. Shocking! Like, so they made money on the front end and on the back end. These bastards. 
You know, they're the biggest damn drug dealers in the world. Now, and they're making it, money on both ends. So they've come up with one called Suboxone, uh-huh. right? Which is, these are all uh, opiate blockers, receptor blockers in the brain that uh-huh. stop you. Uh, Suboxone blocks about 50%, okay. meaning you do get high. You get high. Which is why just... Suboxone is the number one drug of choice in jail, in prisons. Jesus okay? Christ. So you do get high. So now, so now they've made, made that. Now there's another one called Vivitrol, uh-huh. which is an injection that lasts for 30 days. Okay. And that's a 100% blocker. Okay. This is probably the best thing we have. Okay. That will block you from getting high for a month. Okay. Okay. That's a good thing. But all these pharmaceuticals, all of a sudden, we got all these cures. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is people in the in Black Lives Matter, the Black Caucus, how come they're not screaming and going nuts? At the far, you, at the far, you MFers, you had all these things to help addicts, but you wouldn't help the inner city addicts. Uh-huh. Isn't that something? Uh-huh. I mean, what's such? You talk about racism. You talk about prejudice. I mean, yeah. my God Almighty! So now we got all these medicines. Yeah. So first of all, you don't treat a drug problem with more drugs. With drugs. Yeah. <laughs> you I've certainly also, yeah. don't treat a heroin addiction with more drugs. And this is what these intellectual schnooks don't understand. It's not going to work. Mm. Will it stop them from getting high for a few weeks? Maybe. Sure. You know, will it help them with their withdrawal? Maybe. Mm -hmm. But if you don't get them into a long-term residential program, Mm -hmm. I guarantee you, and we see it already, they're going to use again. They're going right back. So what do we do? We bring a guy back with Narcan. And the way it should work is we bring him back. We say, hey, look, like my brothers did to me when when I overdosed and woke up in Springfield State Hospital. Mm -hmm. When someone overdoses and they wait and they get up, we should be taking them right to... Uh, a residential treatment center. Yeah. Treatment on demand is the only solution that will solve this problem. Treatment, long-term residential treatment on demand. The one thing we haven't done, we haven't invested in, it's the only thing that's going to work. To get the addict off the street, out of their environment, into another setting where they can feel safe, they can, li- they can learn to brush their teeth without drugs. They can learn to talk, communicate, learn a trade, get it, whatever. But they can't do it as long as they're back in their environment of these neighborhoods and their old friends. They're going to relapse. They're going to keep using. Now, because that drive to use heroin is nothing like anything else that we've seen. Sure. So yeah, these I'm, intellectuals don't get it. Mm-hmm. So what do we see? Nothing. You go to emergency room. The first thing I told the governor's people, I said, first thing you need to do is call in the general hospitals, uh-huh. MedStar, Hopkins, Maryland, Maryland. bring them all in the to the governor's ha- room and say, look, every one of you, I want you to open a seven to 10 day detox unit in your hospitals. Uh-huh. You'll be reimbursed from yep. Medicaid. Yep. I mean, you'll, you'll make money. It'll get funded. Right? Yeah. It'll be, you'll make money. I'm not asking you to do it for free. Yeah. But I want you to have a detox unit. So when all these overdose cases get to the ER, mm-hmm. you don't just give them a little something and ship them out, which yeah. is what you do now. Yeah. We want you to keep them. So if we keep them for seven to ten days, at least they've gone through some detox. Mm-hmm. Then we hit them up with that Vivitrol. Which, which will keep them safe for another 30 for another, days. another month. And that yeah. gives the family and everybody a chance to look for a program. Mm-hmm. 
And at the same time... And to have a clear-headed conversation. You can actually have a clear-headed conversation. And at the same time, if we build the treatment system, they'll have a place to send them and they'll be clean a couple weeks and have a good running start. That's And I said that. I mapped it out. I said, we've got hospitals. We've got mental hospitals. We've got army bases Mm -hmm. that are sitting there empty. Why don't we turn them into drug treatment facilities? There are so many people. I think they say that one out of 10 might get help. The nine out of 10 that want help can't find it. And you certainly can't find residential. You either can't afford it or the government won't open it, especially in Maryland. Yeah. It's the hardest place in the whole country to open up a drug treatment center because of zoning and rules and regulations. It's crazy. But, you know, it's the one thing we haven't done. And nothing else that we're doing is working. Why is it? Why is it so hard? Like, what, what's the what is the thing that's blocking, say, on demand, treatment on demand like that? Politics. Mm. It's all politics. These people... These political people well, realize well they, just, yeah. well they realize one it costs money, the other is it's just not sexy. You know, when when the governor gets up there and says, We're hiring four thousand more police, drug treatment, more agents, drug enforcement. We are putting programs in our schools for our kids. We're gonna provide eight billion doses of Narcan so families can save their loved ones. Mm-hmm. That's what sells. Yep. Sounds oh, great. Oh, and we're going to open up a 200-bed residential treatment center. Eh, well, gives oh, shit. by the way, in this zip code. You and know what I mean? they just lost the votes of everyone in that zip code. Right. Who wants yeah. it in their backyard? That's exactly. why I yeah. opened up at the mental hospitals. Mm-hmm. They're not their zone property. They're not in anybody's backyard. Yep. I mean, it's just, it's not sexy. Yeah. Now, I'm telling you, eventually, they're going to get to this point. Where they're going to realize the numbers keep going higher and higher and higher, and all the vivitrols and suboxones in the world are not going to keep people straight for a long period of time. Yeah, they're not going to go away. Yeah, you know. Now, some things we've control that we are controlling that are making a little bit of a difference already, and I think we'll see a difference is that we're clamping down on these doctors. Yeah, I've been hearing and, a lot of that. And we're yeah. seeing, you know, and, and, and we're doing a good job in telling people about pain medicine. Mm-hmm. And when these doctors now are a little bit afraid. Afraid to, you know, because people, right, so right we got patients yeah. suing doctors yeah. for overprescribing, mm-hmm. right? So that, I think, can make a difference because we have control on that. Yeah. You know, we have control on that, on that population. Mm-hmm. Uh, Again, the pharmaceutical companies have realized, well, I can cut down on my Oxycontin, but I'm going to increase my Suboxone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll make money there. Yeah. Like the Mexicans did to it. Mexican did going away from heroin, cotton going right? into heroin. Yeah. yeah. So here we are, and everybody's coming up with this bill and this bill and this and this. But when you look at the actual dollars being spent on treatment, it ain't nothing. Mm. It's nothing, especially in Maryland. You know, we have a governor who came out fighting hard. Came out, put money in, did this. But when I gave him a plan on how to help people, why why can't you do it with the I said, why can't you call the hospitals? They need you. You give them, do you know how many tax breaks that Hopkins and Maryland get and taxes in the city because they're such big employers? Yeah. They get tax, you know, what about MedStar? All yeah. them. They can't open detox units. Are you kidding yeah. me? It's like they, they can't build one three-story three, be- three story yeah. building. Off they don't want to deal with there. addicts anymore. They all had them at one point. Mm. 
They don't want to deal with addicts anymore because it's dirty business. You know. Meanwhile, the people they're they're not bringing in are the same white middle class people that have insurance and have money. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. So we don't have enough treatment, and that's really the answer. You know, it's crazy. Saving, keeping them alive is good and all that, but if you don't get them into treatment right away, they're going to die eventually. Well, I mean, what what would be an action plan? Like, if, if somebody's listening to the show and they hear that, like, I gave them an action plan. I got a ten point plan, <laughs> and I'm telling you, I like I gave it to the governor. Yeah. Number one is you call in these general hospitals, and you open detox units mm. in every hospital in this state. Mm-hmm. So that you know you're going to get seven to ten days, then the Vivitrol. So you got that going on. Then what he has to do is he's got to lower the requirements to open up a residential treatment center in Maryland. Mm-hmm. It could take you six months to a year Jesus. to get the license, right? Got to remember there are wealthy people here that are using this heroin. Mm-hmm. You've got the poor and you got wealthy. Yeah. Well, let the wealthy take care of themselves. They got insurance. Yeah. They got money. They yeah. just don't have a facility. Yeah, they don't have anywhere to go. Well, so let know. so make it easy. I mean, for, tell them it's twenty five thousand dollars a month. What they've got it. They'll they, pay. They, it. They, they need to get but treatment. Let, but the state, Maryland, they bypass Maryland treatment center. They'll go to Virginia, Pennsylvania, okay. North Carolina because we're so, we're terrible. So make it easy for the private sector to open long term residential programs. Help them do that. And that'll take care of a whole segment of the population, right? Then the other ones, you take these mental hospitals, mm-hmm. like I said, and you turn those into facilities for those who can't afford it. Yeah. Okay. You've got Medicaid. You've got some money in there that can go to help reimburse the vendor, whoever ends up buying, you know, running the place. Yeah. So that's, yeah. So number one, you open detox units. Mm-hmm. Number two, you make it easy to open up treatment centers in this state in the private sector mm-hmm. and in the public sector you take those closed hospitals and you open up treatment centers that you own already that right. you're paying maintenance costs that are just sitting there already. empty they're, just, em- yeah. they're literally sitting there empty yeah. and you open up treatment centers that's number 3 that you do number 4 you take that goddamn narcan off the streets and you put it in the hands of the professionals yeah the EMT the EMTs, the EMTs. The me- yeah because now if you look at this system that I've created, person overdoses, paramedics come, give them Narcan, back to life, where do they go? They take them to the general hospital. They go in that hospital and then they go in the detox unit. They go in that detox unit and then the family's got some time, as you said, they get clean a little bit, a couple days, and then we funnel them into one of these mental health centers, these, these mental health hospitals or the private sector. You buy some time. Yeah. But you got you can't buy time if they're on the streets. Yeah. They're gonna keep using. So that's your next plan. Yeah. You know, that's going on. So we can actually get them. You know, then you start working on those doctors. Mm-hmm. And you start training, you make it mandatory that every physician must go through a, a, a class, a really legitimate course on addictions. Yeah. So they understand what they're doing. Yeah. And what they're not doing. Yeah. And teach them that. That's in there too. Then you deal with the pharmacies because uh-huh. they're the front line. Yep. And you work with pharmacists, you know, they, you know, and you centralize this system. Uh-huh. So that they can see that this person has been to five exactly. pharmacies in the last Exactly. Hours, yeah. Exactly. Here we go. So we're already at eight, you know, <laughs> I mean, this is a simple plan. Yeah. And I got a plan for the schools, what we can do to help identify kids in school. Uh-huh. But, you know, you create this need that's not there. Yeah. 
That's the problem. You, you, you know, you create this environment where everyone says, you know, yeah, I'm ready for help. I'm ready to get help. Where do I go? Yeah. It's not there. And there's nowhere to go. It's not there. So these, you know, what they're doing is just not working. And it's so sad. Yeah. Because I get phone calls every week about funerals. You know, people who are dying. We're talking about nice, white, middle class, teens, young adults, older adults. I think it's beginning to filter down a little bit in age like it usually does. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, we've created this environment now where they don't know what to do. They're not doing it. But they're wasting money because money is beginning to flow. Mm. Yeah, because it's now a political priority you know, at a national – like it's finally gotten to a political priority right. at a national level. And they level. don't know what to do. They're, no. They're, they're and not, that's not their job. They're not the, former junkies either. The so job is local, yeah, just, local government is closest to the people. They know what – they should know what to do. Yeah. But when you have a health officer like Dr. Wynn – and you got Hopkins and all these intellectuals who don't know what to do but won't admit it. Yeah. And get, you know, they grab what the easiest thing is. Yeah. Narcan, mm -hmm. needle exchange. The next thing we're going to have, the next debate, and they have this in a couple of states already, are what they call safe injection sites. Where you can bring your heroin and they'll give you a clean needle and they'll make sure you don't overdose. Now talk about take away pain from your addiction yeah. and your fear. Yeah. They're going to give you everything. And eventually they've got guys like Delegate Dan Morhine, who's a doctor, who's a real asshole, who should be in jail for what he did with the marijuana licensing. Uh, it's now talking about legalizing all drugs. Mm -hmm. That's what he wants. Okay. Insane. Yeah. Insanity. We, are ne we can't control our behavior. We legalize gambling. We got a gambling problem, 20%. We legalize tobacco. We legalized alcohol. Mm -hmm. Now we're legalizing marijuana. We're going to get the same results. Yeah. You're going to get the same results. Car accidents go up. Addiction goes up. Problems go up. Family mm -hmm. issues go up. Yeah. You know, because they all want their weed. Yeah. You know, you know, medical or otherwise, sure. they want pot to get high. That's why sure. you take pot. If you smoke pot and you don't get high, you want your freaking money back because you got ripped off. Sure. You know? And if you got really high, what do you say? That's good shit. You know? <laughs> Give me more. Yeah. So, I mean, people just want to get high. The I mean, there's variations of it that, are, that the baby that boomers don't do that. I mean, like the CBDs type stuff. That but just, CBD is not pot. No. It's okay? not. Well, it's derivative of the same plant, but yeah, it's but not it's, the it's, same thing. It's got no THC. It's yep. nothing but snake oil shit. Yeah. It's you not know? Getting, it doesn't CBD get doesn't do anything. I 90% placebo. Believe me, I had a, a I had a kidney stone attack right in this very room we're sitting in Ow. about six weeks ago, and I carry a bottle of CBD in my drug display mm -hmm. to show people. Yeah. And I was in such pain, I drank that whole goddamn bottle. Hell, said, I want to know if this stuff works. <laughs> it don't work. You know what it is? In the old days, when you took that marijuana plant, you took the part of the plant that had the THC with mm -hmm. the buds. The flowers, you know, yeah. You know. And that's the part you turned in. And the other part you got rid of. Yeah. Well, now somebody said, oh, oh well, this has about 1% THC. Yeah. Let's turn this into CBD oil and say mm -hmm. it helps with your back pain. Mm -hmm. Right? It don't help shit. Mm -hmm. Right? The FDA hasn't approved it. They haven't approved medical pot. Sure. Yeah. The FDA right? is not going to touch it. until you know, But I'm saying, but they're not approving anything. Who approved it? Politicians. Mm -hmm. The people we hate the most and trust the least mm -hmm. approve <laughs> medical marijuana. <laughs> 
So all you assholes can go out there and get your medical marijuana. Mm -hmm. Does medical marijuana have any medical value? It might. Yeah. And it might. And if it does, terrific. Yeah, great. Yeah. But let it be handled the way we handle every other drug. If you've got a six a child who had, you know, penicillin or something, and the guy said, well, you know, this penicillin wasn't approved by the FDA, but, you know, the Maryland legislature said it's good stuff. Mm. And it's cheaper. Yeah. You ain't going to give that to your kid. <laughs> we may not like the FDA, but we've got to trust somebody. Yeah, there needs to be okay? some benchmark. They sure. need... To, uh, they need to approve it and figure it out. Sure. But in the meantime, we should not be setting up these little stinking little pot farms mm. and they're selling pot to everybody and these edibles going to everybody and people are having more problems. We, we don't even have a way of measuring driving under the influence of marijuana. Sure, you can't. No, like you can test whether it's in there, whether it's in We don't even them, have it yet. But they might have. We been don't able have to it yet. Two yet months in ago. 1989 yeah. in Baltimore County, in Chase, Maryland, in Essex, mm -hmm. two Amtrak trains were coming toward each other. The engineer's job, his name was Ricky Gates, his job was to throw a switch so the trains would, you know, dude was smoking weed all day. He was fucked up and forgot to throw the switch. I was working for the county. I was there. The worst Amtrak train wreck, 25 dead, over 100 injured. Worst Amtrak train wreck to, to this day because this dude was high on pot. I say to the kids who, who fight with me about pot, I go, hey, would you get on an airplane if you saw the pilot and co-pilot smoking a joint? They go, hell no, no, no. Of course not. The one thing we never want to talk about in this pot debate is do you get high? Yeah. And what does that mean? Are you impaired? Yeah. Are you impaired when sure. you're high? Sure. Can you drive? Can you work? Mm -hmm. Can you use equipment? Yeah. We know you can eat. You know, because you get the freaking munchies. And we know you you concentrate, you get tunnel vision. Mm -hmm. But God forbid something jumps out in front of you. Kids yeah. go, I study better when I'm high. I'm going, yeah, you look at the same page for about an hour. You forget to turn the page. You know, I mean, that's what no one wants to talk about. Sure. It's ridiculous what we're doing. You know, we tried it with tobacco. We did it with alcohol. We did it with gambling. It's going to be abused by most people. Sure. Does it have a medical value? Maybe, and if so, make it available. Yeah. You know, Colorado made $2 billion in tax revenue mm -hmm. selling pot. Mm -hmm. and, and a government doesn't care about the 20% who get fucked up and get addicted. Yeah. They'll write them off. They do it with gambling. 20% mm -hmm. of people with compulsive behaviors have a problem. Yeah. And they write them off. Yeah. They wrote off the gamblers. They wrote off the alcoholics. They wrote off the people hooked on tobacco, they get mm -hmm. cancer, and now they're going to write off the weed heads. Yeah. You know, and the potheads. Why? Because they get the cash. Yeah. They got, at the end of the day, they the get the cash. Makes a huge so now cut. I'm up yeah. to so the number one phone call that I get in my practice mm -hmm. are from parents of private school teenagers mm -hmm. who are hooked on weed. Mm -hmm. And their grades have dropped, their mm -hmm. attitudes, because the weed is so strong. You know, we've got THC out there in, in, oh, it's got in the pot on the street strong, yeah. that goes up to 50%. Mm -hmm. There's one called wax, which they call dabbing is the, what they call yeah. that they make. It's a 50%. I got a, a group I work with over at Towson University. They, they told me they're hallucinating. <laughs> Shit, where was that weed when I was smoking it? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, mean, it's a lot more potent. I mean, it is so potent. So here are these kids using it like they think it's, you know, they're smoking CBD oil. 
Yeah. Which I got I, a kid that just ended up in shock in uh, ER, you know, from smoking CBD oil, thinking you could get high on it. It could kill you. Yeah. It knocks you out. I mean, knocks you, literally, you black out from it. It's not going to get you high. Yeah. CBD you know? doesn't. Yeah. But they all think because they're kids. Yeah. Nobody, it's, like, it's pot. Pot is think, pot. It's think whatever, about, yeah. no one wants to think about our kids. Yeah. And that's what pisses me off. You know, all the baby boomers that smoked weed and their kids are going, oh, they want to get high, not in trouble. You know, they don't want to get in trouble. So, yeah, I'm going to smoke my weed. I'm going to get my medical marijuana, whatever. That's selfish bunch of assholes. And that's what it is. The baby boomers have always been selfish. It's always been about them, you know. And now here we are, the final chapter. They want to smoke their weed and not care about their grandchildren. Mm-hmm. That's who we're talking about now, their, grandch- yeah. their grandkids. Yeah. So it's, a, it's ridiculous. You know, if it has medical value, fine. Get it on the market. Go to your pharmacy. Like you get morphine, you get all this stuff, and and do it the right way. Mm-hmm. Not what we're doing with you know. We got the biggest pot farm right down the street. Yeah. You know, like what the hell are we doing? It's ridiculous. And that's a bit that take away the opiate epidemic. That's the biggest problem we got mm-hmm. with kids. Yeah. Is this pot stuff? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, sure. you know, and that's you know again that you're right. It's the government's fault there too, mm-hmm. because the FDA, you know, because DEA kept it a Schedule One drug, so they didn't have to deal with it. Sure, you know, nobody did research. Yeah, because nobody could. Right, with a Schedule One, nobody will t- they can't. Touch but it. but why we're legalizing it before the research makes no sense. Yeah, but then again. If we make it legal recreationally, we don't need to worry about medical. Right. Yeah. We don't have. They don't have to research it. Right. Yeah. Everyone will just take it when they feel like it. Yeah. It's like it's like health food. It's like health supplements. You know. And, you know. The, they're the, not regulated the, by the FDA either. Nope. They're not because they're not. They're not claiming a medical benefit. If they're not claiming a medical. But they do. You know, yeah. You look at every bottle. Go buy an energy drink. I know. I know. Right. Go buy an energy drink. Go buy uh, St. John's Wort. Mm-hmm. You know. Go buy any of the caffeine-based, uh, Garana, yeah. Taurine. There, let me tell you something. The only difference between herbal supplements mm-hmm. and real drugs, mm-hmm. one comes from the earth and the other comes from the lab. Yeah. They're just as powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Germans and the Chinese have been using herbal supplements. Thousands of years. Tens yeah. of thousands, tens of, of, thousands years. of years. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's yeah. medicine. Yeah. But our, because John McCain... Single-handedly stopped the FDA from from being regulated regulating this. But you know that because no. most of these companies are in uh, uh, Arizona, and he won't. He stopped the regulations. So the FDA. So I got kids like well, I work with the athletes that are doing diet supplements, muscle supplements, yep. energy drinks, energy. the creatines, the muscle milks. Nobody regulates them. Yeah, and these kids are getting messed up like you wouldn't believe. You know. Because it's not regulated. So we've yeah. got to have some trust in government. Yeah. Especially the FDA. Because I mean, at the end of the day, the government is us. Uh, like, people look look at there being a difference between, you know, a regular citizenry and their government. They got, the, city, right. the government is made up of citizens. It's right. just, you know, if you, if you want... If you don't you, like the way it's run, and you change it, and you get somebody in there that's going to fix it. Yeah. That's what we do. That's kind but, of... Yeah, that's But the FDA, thing. you know, look, I in my story, going back to my story for a minute... Yeah. Uh, I had hepatitis C mm-hmm. from shooting up all those years. Yep. And so I lived with hepatitis C, you know, for 20, 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd go to my doctor. I knew I had it. Didn't yep. have any symptoms yet because hepatitis C, 
can lay dormant for decades, you, forever. Yeah. yeah. Right? And the majority of hepatitis C was spread by the blood supply because from 1974 to 1984, some 10 year period, mm -hmm. the blood supply was not checked for hep C. Really? So the majority of cases of hep C came from blood transfusion, mostly baby boomers. Okay? Not addicts, like people would like to think. Right now, you know, they say every baby boomer should be checked for hep C. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I would stay with this, and, it, and the cures were not there, and the medicine wasn't there. The FDA was going through all these different yep. ones. Like turning and finally, my doctor slowly, said, yeah. it been about two and a half years ago, he said, there's a medicine coming out that we think might be the answer. And, for hep C. Uh, for hep C. Okay. And it came out two and a half years ago, and I took it. And within two months, it was gone. Wow. I mean, I've been cured. And so have 99.9% .9 of the people that take this medicine. What's the name of that drug? Uh, now, the newest one is called Havarti. Havarti. Okay. Okay. Uh, made by Gilead Lab. Okay. Uh, it's called Havarti. Now, you take one pill a day. No side effects could be eight to 10 weeks. 99%. Wow. We've cured hep C. Problem now is we've got to get people to be tested. Yeah. Because again, well, with, with the heroin issue, we're seeing a spike again. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because we are seeing the heroin epidemic creating a spike in hep C. But the bigger number of cases are baby boomers. Okay. They should be tested because if you're tested, because this could lay dormant. My doctor said to me, look, you're fine. Yeah, you're fine. You're Your done. numbers you're are high. But I mean, before I took the treatment. Yeah. You know, I had hep C. My numbers were going up. Mm -hmm. But I was fine. Yeah. I'm running marathon. I mean, yeah, I was the doing... symptoms weren't there. He said, but maybe there. when you're in your 70s or 80s, Bam. it hits yeah. you. Yeah. Then you're too, you're older and you're maybe too weak to even fight it off. Yeah. And you're going to end up with a liver transplant or liver cancer, which is what happens. Kills tens of thousands of people every year. So here we got a cure, and that's the FDA. They yeah. did their job. Yeah. You know? But, but, but when I testified in Annapolis, I said to the legislature, Dan Morhine and all the creeps like him that are down there, I said, I said, who are you to decide what drug is good for human beings? Have you ever in this body in Annapolis, have you ever in the hundreds of years that we've had this legislature, have you ever approved medicine mm -hmm. for human beings for ever human before? Years, yeah. No, they never have. Yeah, it's not their I job. Said, I said, yeah, just, what yeah. makes marijuana so freaking terrific? You know, that you have to think you know better. Mm -hmm. yeah, they're just arrogant and want the money. Sure. Arrogant and want the money. Sure. So. You tell them, how are we doing? I was going to say, it's like, it was like, lo love to end it on such a, such I mean, we a can, wonderfully positive note. We can go forever. <laughs> you know, sure. but look, look the, the reality is this. I think eventually mm. the money is going to have to find its way to treatment. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Mm. Um, the bad news is uh, we're seeing a, a spike in cocaine and cocaine laced with fentanyl, which is a speedball. Right? Like how John Belushi died. But we are seeing kind of a, and this happens in trends mm. because I think the heroin trend will slowly go down on its own, even if we did nothing. It's in the spotlight now. Even if we did now nothing. Now people are like, oh, it's like, because right. you, you're going to see people stop taking the pills, the prescriptions. Yeah. You're going to see people being careful. I think it goes down. But 
whenever we see a down drug, mm-hmm. you'll see the up drug come next. Mm-hmm. And we saw this years ago with, yeah. with, with like, methamphetamine. Like, if your it's like if your life sucks, it's like if your it's like if your life sucks and you've got to, like if whatever it is is going right. out of style, you're going to find right. something to fill that. And that's what makes that's what angers me the most is we have an epidemic and we have an opportunity to rebuild our treatment system mm. in Maryland and across the country mm. because drugs aren't going away. Sure. Not in our lifetime. No. Like I said, we could end up, we'll have a cocaine epidemic after this. Yeah. Or we'll have the pot thing will grow and people are going to need help. Either way, we need those services. Mm. And the fact that we're not taking advantage of this crisis, mm. you know, to build these centers, to get the money out there, mm. it's just a crime because once it's once it goes to a certain point, politicians won't care. Sure. Look, we started the legislature off with a hundred thousand million bills on opiates, right? Yeah. What did we end up with? School violence <laughs> because kids were killed in a school with a gun. Yeah. Next thing you know, all those drug bills they took them out. Yep. And they put new bills in about more cops, more it, cops, more cops in schools more, with guns. Yep. More yeah, more enforcement, but more, no. Why? Sexy. Yep. And sex is what sells in politics. Yep, and so it ain't true. sexy to build a drug rehab center. No, it is not. It's a lot it's, of work. Especially, especially in the neighborhood where you're living it's in. It's a lot yeah. of work. Yeah. But I'm a, uh, I'm a blessed person. I've been doing this. You know, I've been clean 45 years. And uh, I'm lucky to be alive. I'm grateful every day. And do, do whatever I can do to keep helping. And uh, keep using our TV show. And I go out and speak, you know, four or five times a week. Now, if the if the audience wants to hear more either from you or to support your show or whatever it is, like where can they find that information? Well, the best thing to do, I tell people, is just Google Mike Gimble. Okay. And you will find, one, how to get a hold of me. You will find everything that I've ever done, <laughs> all my interviews, all my – you'll see the TV show on YouTube, you know, if you want to see past uh, – addition to straight talk, just put Mike Gimbel, drug expert, and you'll get all the information about me you'll need. Okay. Good or bad. Okay. You know, <laughs> I stopped with the website. I just, just Google it. That's enough. Fair enough. That's easy way to do it. So, Mike? No. Well, been hopefully. Awesome. Good. Thank you, hopefully sir. you got what you need. Yeah, man. Thank you. Good, 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 good. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed that full interview with Mike Gimbel. If you didn't get a chance to listen to the first portion of that interview, and this is your first one that you've been listening to, definitely go back to episode 68 and give that one a listen. That sort of fills in some of the blanks from this episode. Really quick before you go, please go ahead and subscribe to the show in whatever podcast app you're listening to right now. And also, don't forget to go to the community Facebook page and give us a follow. That's smallmoves.co forward slash community. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show, and I'll talk to you next time around. You've got this.